0: Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. Listen now for a word from God as we continue on in our imagination and spirituality um, series. And this is from Exodus chapter 25, verses 23 through 30. And it's all about a table. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, one cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. You shall make around it a rim a handbreadth wide, and molding of gold around the rim. You shall make for it four rings of gold, and fasten the rings in the four corners at the four legs. The rings that hold the poles used for carrying the table shall be close to the rim. You shall make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. You shall make it plates, and dishes, and flagoons, and bowls, with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me continually. So today, in our imagination and spirituality journey, I want us to explore creative and imaginative spaces, especially the ones that ring of the holy or the sacred to us. So to do that, I actually had people make little altars before the sermon during what we call our moment for creativity. So they first of all talked about different places that they encounter God. Um, Maybe it's a church or a nook in their home, but they took a few minutes and then we had all sorts of fun objects on our altar table at the front of the church sanctuary and they got to take out candles, pictures, fabrics, and make their own altar at each of their coffee tables where they were sitting. So as I continue in the sermon, have that in mind. Maybe go to a sacred space in your home or wherever you're listening to this. It might actually be looking out into your backyard, um, over the scene of a city, wherever you are. So when I first got the job as the organizing pastor of Ormwood Church, so many people asked me if we were going to worship in the sanctuary or what we were going to do with that space. I loved being in the sanctuary from the very beginning. The high ceilings, so much natural light that ushers in this sense that there's something bigger in the world than me. There's also a certain formality to the room that demands we pay attention, take things a bit more seriously than we normally would. And it cues you to be present. But the sanctuary had its limitations. We had three services that summer in 2017 to kind of help us determine where weekly worship would happen. And many of you have heard me say that the first two services, which we held in the sanctuary, were far too quiet for this chatty lot that we have people came in and they really performed the space, right? They faced forward with those unyielding pews. They spaced out amongst themselves. And that formal chancel in space kind of had them embody this idea that the upfront important stuff happened separate from them, that it separated the sacred from, you know, the suspect down here in the actual seats. One of the first things I actually did, even before we did those three services was I hauled that aggressively large pulpit off the stage and put it on the ground floor. So the space, while it had its true benefits, it wasn't really organized for the community feel we were looking to enact. It didn't really reflect the neighborhood. And so we didn't make it our space of worship. We used it for larger gatherings and special services, but not the weekly wear and tear, where we found the fellowship hall to be more conducive and flexible for our worship in the round. Now, it would have been silly to give up on the room altogether, and I never did. Um, It's gorgeous. So I actually applied for an award to renovate the space in 2021. The award was granted, and we have now attempted to make this space work for our community. Well, the sound problems have carried over a bit from the Fellowship Hall, but we're working on that. But in the last year, a fellow pastor's father was able to put in new flooring to cover the old asbestos tiling and stained carpet. We reduced the pump and circumstance of the front chancel area so that our community can easily interact going up and down those stairs to participate. And Becca and Courtney helped us highlight the last kind of lingering green stained glass with our carpets and our matching tables. And don't forget that our bottoms no longer fall asleep on the chairs. Very important details. And all of this is to say that space matters. Our surroundings deeply affect us. We know this through our own journey of where and how we worship here at Ormwood Church. But we also know this by looking through history and seeing kind of the evolution of holy spaces in time. My sister and I were able to catch Friday Evensong at St. Paul's Cathedral in London last week. The stained glass windows were gorgeous. They're like essential pieces, right? For this time when a world was far less literate. The vaulted ceiling rightfully humbled every tiny human who walked through the doors. I don't even know how you build something that high. The patterns of stone carvings carried your eyes along the different spaces that are used for different purposes throughout. It was one of those places where each architectural piece was eliciting a purpose and a feeling that brought you into a spiritual posture. But on the other side of things, (laughs) there are many traditions where simplicity is the moving force of a space, right? Some Protestants rejected the pictures and the paintings of the large cathedrals. They, They thought they were too distracting, even idolatrous, right? Some were called iconoclasts or aniconists. They were very interested in creating spaces where you didn't have to necessarily negotiate your attention between so many images. Simplicity before God was their kind of intent, their taste. That's how they wanted to encounter the divine. Now, I find myself appreciating and needing both at different times in my life. But then let us consider our scripture passage for today. I know it is quite unusual, yes, I don't often have you read about measurements and materials for making tables, but in Exodus, and in many other places in the Bible, great attention and care is given over into the creation of things made in the service of encountering God. So this passage is one of a series in Exodus describing the spaces and the furniture of worship where the wandering people of Israel gathered for hope and for care. What care and exactness the author uses in this passage we have read to describe where people are to approach the divine bread of the presence, the manna. I was re- as I was reading through this passage this week, I actually found three particular ways of caring in this scripture that I think would do us good as we consider using our imagination um, in our spaces that we can encounter God. So, those three that I saw really step out in this passage were the materials, the arrangements, and the practicality. So, first, the materials, they were very important to the community. Acacia wood, for which there are many, many, many kinds, is known for being sustainable. It's a very attractive hardwood. It's able to hold up under wear and tear of these wandering people. And then, what's that other material? Prized medal of gold. Gold here, gold there, gold everywhere, making the tables shine in the sunlight, reflecting God's world. First things first, the people of Israel were to make the space beautiful with their beautiful materials. Aesthetics matter. And the second way that we see Israelites' intentionality for the special space is through the arrangements, right? The measurements and direction for all of the pieces. The details are thoughtful and exact. The rim needs to be a hand breadth. The table itself, two cubits long, one cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. And if you want to read about more measurements and instructions, there are chapter after chapter in this part of Exodus for the Ark of the Covenant, Tabernacle. All of those divine spaces of rest and worship have this much detail, if not more. You're kind of lucky I chose such a short piece because they carefully thought out what they wanted every aspect to look like. And finally, practicality is considered. This table was made for a mobile people, right? They were wandering in the desert. They needed to be able to carry this table miles and miles and miles as they searched for the promised land. We see attention to this in the rings at the corners and the poles that go through the rings, enabling the people to lift and move the table as the community traveled. It reminds me of the quotation that was in the narrative budget that we just used, right? Each new situation requires new architecture. Each new need requires new imaginative ideas that enable the people of God to create spaces to encounter God, no matter their circumstances. Although they were wandering, although they were homeless, although they were strained and stretched... God still invited the Israelites into the process of creating spaces of healing and wholeness and worship right where they were with the materials that they had and the measurements of their own lives. Now, at some point, we will not have these bodies or these spaces. We will die. And our encounter with God at that point is a bit beyond my pay grade, although I imagine with a good God, it'll be good. But at this point in our existence, we have these bodies In these spaces, there's not some other reality in which we encounter God or each other. And so we must take care and be intentional about the ways we creatively shape a space, decorate a desk or a nook or a prayer corner, design an altar. We have the ability, the gift and the call to purposefully shape areas around us, hoping that our capacity for the presence of the one who created us might increase. So where are your holy spaces and places? Like I said, in worship, we'd shared some earlier in the service with our table mates. For some of you, this room, it's light, it's character, it's saints that are in the windows, the plants, the memories. They calm your body. They open your mind. Maybe it's the sanctuary of your childhood, and you should go visit that, where you first heard about God's love, or you sang your favorite song, and it echoed off the high ceilings. One of my sacred spaces is my desk at home, overlooking Red's Farm with a plant, a candle, a little sign that says, Dwell, Impossibility. Thank you, Emily Dickinson. Uh, A strange warrior woman clay figure is on mine with a porcelain bird, but it's my altar of sorts where I pray and think and write and read. And I often speak with God about you all there. Growing up, I I did this actually to part of my closet as well quite frequently, decorated with scripture, inspirational quotations, artwork that comforted or challenged me. Another space that I actually haven't created myself but has become quite holy to Chris and me is the Botanical Garden. It's where we went after Chris's best childhood friend, Danny, committed suicide it's where we go each time our dear friends George and Zoe visit, most recently bringing their six-month-old Hans, who lived or who loved the tulips. God's creativity is on full display, and I'm really brought into a peace that passes understanding when I'm at the garden. Do not underestimate the ways our surroundings enable and encourage, or the opposite, our community's ability to encounter God. Through the materials of our world, the arrangement of details, even furniture, and the ability for things to be practically used and applied to the lives we actually live, these are some of the creative ways God calls us to encounter love and the one who loves us. So I encourage you to make intentional spaces for yourselves where you can sit or rest or talk with God, whatever you need, and I imagine the needs are high right now. But what materials do you need? Candle? Artwork? A treasured note from a friend? Maybe a rock from the top of a mountain you climbed? Be creative. And what's the arrangement of the space that you need? You don't need to figure it out in cubits, um, but you might need privacy, a closed door, maybe a window, a place to sit or kneel or stretch. Finally, there's that question of practicality. If you want to read scripture, have a Bible handy. If you need to write out your thoughts and prayers, a pen and paper is essential. If your nose is an important guide for you, and I say that because mine is, get yourself a candle and a box of matches to set nearby. Being in sacred spaces, creating thin places where God's presence and your attention are better met, that matters. And for the women here among us, I think it's important to create these sacred spaces of safety now more than ever. Spaces where God's love is the loudest voice, and your fear and anger and creativity are allowed to express themselves. Because as Ernst Dimnit said, architecture, designing space, is the one which acts the most slowly, but the most surely on the soul. Architecture, designing space, is the one which acts the most slowly, but the most surely on the soul the environment, the spaces we inhabit, they are places of a divine encounter. And we need to be held in that sacred presence. Amen.